0: you'll be aware that something is going on, won't you? Uh, Unless you've lived under a rock or you choose to live with a plastic bag over your head. Uh, we're, We're moving towards that place of needing to take that responsibility. And as we've said a number of times, we may not agree with everything, we may not have confidence in everything or everyone, but it is our responsibility to be salt and light it is our responsibility to pray for those given positions of leadership and authority in our country, and it is our responsibility to take part in the journey of who we place in those roles. And so, as you know, these last few Sundays, uh, we've been grateful to uh, the parliamentary candidates from the three major parties of given their time on a Sunday morning to be with us. We're really grateful to Ben. Ben Gummer is with us this morning. Uh, Ben's been our MP in central Ipswich here for the last uh, five years, and I wonder, would you give... Ben uh, a Burlington welcome as he comes to share with us. First of all, Ben, can we just congratulate you while you've been MP. You've got married and become a dad uh, all in that time. So our congratulations on both accounts. We appreciate uh, you being here. Uh, Perhaps... We remember five years ago when we stood on this same platform and we had a, a similar kind of conversation. Perhaps for those that weren't here then and uh, the, the sort of answer might have changed a little bit, give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself and about your connection to Ipswich.
1: I'm trying to remember what I said then. It's <laughs> it does feel a little while ago. And First of all, thank you for your welcome. And I am uh, i was going to come with Wilfred and with... Have I frightened it? Sorry. Done exactly what I was told not to do. Um, I was I was gonna come with little Wilfred and with Sarah and who was looking forward to coming. Uh but uh, he's been passed around about fifty million people in the last few weeks. And I just thought it'd be nice for him to have a, a morning off um, with uh, his mother and with my parents who we were staying with last night. And that's my connection with Ipswich. I grew up Half an hour outside in Debenham, this is my local town, although i didn't live here when I was younger and uh, some of you might know i 've got a political kind of connection family wise and uh, that made me want never to go into politics ever for a large part of my life and then i I had a moment in my late twenties when I was trying to decide what to do. Um, I just sort a business uh, and I there was this kind of gnawing, I think you might have had something similar, there was this gnawing thing which said, go on, just try it, you can put your name down, it doesn't matter if you don't get it, um, and in the end I kind of relented. And I only wanted to do it for somewhere that meant something to me, because you do need to throw yourself into this. Uh, and happily the nomination came up for Ipswich, I never expected to get it, I never expected to win the election, um, some of you might have seen the BBC Look East clip from the morning after where someone said did you expect to win this and I said in a moment of honesty no and I think the uh, interviewer was so surprised by that that she didn't really know what to say next so there was this kind of long silence (laughs) And, uh, and then it's just been this five years which have been the most privileged of my life it is an immense privilege doing this job and uh, and I've and I've loved it, but the nice thing from coming from a political background is that you don't know. It, you you know that it's not glamorous, and you know that if people don't vote for you in the end, it's not because they don't like you. And once you've worked that out, it means that whilst there's nothing personal, it doesn't matter if you lose uh, because you can go and do something else. And quite rightly, people will want someone else to look after them sometimes. So. Uh, it's a nice position to be in and I feel I'm in a kind of moment of zen at the moment
0: (laughs) that sounds like an amazingly kind of mature position you might have stumbled into becoming our MP if I can put it like that from what you, you just said but there must be some convictions that keep you there because honestly on times it must be a nightmare in terms of people's opinions, the pressure, the expectation. So there's a sense of calling that's deeper than, I'll just give this a go, that surely has emerged for you. Tell us a, a little bit about that. What are the values that hold you uh, to what you're doing and, and, and get you out of bed in the morning when you think, actually, everybody hates me, or the world's going wrong, it's not working out, those kind of days. Yeah. What keeps you there?
1: But well, I don't always get out of bed at that point. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but you do need you do need some sort of value system to want to do this and uh, uh, it's uh, um, it was used earlier I'm sorry I've forgotten the name of the the guy who was up here earlier, where are you? Paul, Paul. sorry Paul, Um, I should have been concentrating but you were saying I was struck by what you said about service Mm. and that is a that really lies at the heart of it it's an old fashioned sense uh, that if you've been given a lot and I have, I'm extremely fortunate, I've got a very strong family, very loving. Um, we've never really wanted for much in terms of um, being having, having somewhere to live and having enough food on the table. And, uh, and I've had a very, very privileged education. And at some point, you need to say to yourself, well, it's all right doing all that but, and having it, but what are you going to use it for? Because you can use that to leverage the lives of others. And uh, you spoke about salt and light, um Sermon on the Mount. I uh, Even in moments when I'm having my kind of faith wanders away, uh, that particular uh, three chapters has meant an enormous amount because I think, especially in the first verses, he describes everything that's important or should be important about mm. why you get up in the morning and you do something. Mm. Mm. Um, and... If you, I've found, when of course you walk away from it, uh, you end up being rather bitter. And the minute you return to it, you lose that bitterness. And it's only through trial and error. I mean, I look, I'm in a good place at the moment, but sometimes we're not. There. So you, it's, it's good to remember when you're not, why you're not.
0: Yeah. Can I pick up on something that you said? You said you've been given a lot, and you immediately talked about family, which would really resonate with us, that ultimately life is much more than... Most things, it's about relationships at a core, and uh, we, we would all recognize around the world that the stability of people's relationships comes from a, a strong structure of family or a, a solid network of relationships. What might we expect to see going forward uh, with a conservative government continuing to strengthen family, to make sure that the fabric of society, those networks of relationships, remain strong so that ultimately every relationship can flourish?
1: I was very struck by a sermon you gave a couple of years ago uh, when we weren't doing this, but you were talking about the value that single mothers uh, brought to our community and our society. And uh, I think we are in a much better place now than we were 20 years ago because we can talk about the richness of community and be able to talk about the strength of family without some of the implications that come from that and or the associations that there were. Uh, And I think really now most people understand that, and there's good scientific evidence behind it, that strong families that are consistent produce happy environments for children to be brought up in. And it's something that I'm beginning to understand in a very real way at the moment. Uh, Now, government really can't make people be like that, but they can try and set the tone. Mm. And so what we have done in quite a small way on married tax allowances gives an indication that we value marriage as an institution, as something that's important, um, and we know that it makes our society as a whole stronger. So that would be one thing I'd point to. Um, And the second is around the childcare offer that we've now producing, 30 hours of free childcare, because life as a married couple, I think, probably is now more stressful in many ways than it has been before. I mean, people don't want for putting food on the table in the same way they did in the numbers they did 200, 300 years ago. But the stresses of life are so intense that what we can do, I suppose, is to try and provide the means where people can continue two careers often. We need to, to pay for the mortgage more often than not. And to say, we're behind you, we'll back you, and we'll give you the means to be able to support your family during that time.
0: And and when when those relationships break down, as sometimes they do, we we see how easy it is for those relational networks to leave someone isolated. And what follows on from that is often an economic stress. People quickly find themselves without a place to live, quickly find themselves in need of uh, a certain amount of emotional or mental health care. Uh, As a community, it's our observation that sometimes it's really difficult to get people uh, a roof over their head. It's really difficult to get uh, social services or the mental health teams in particular that are great people but so overstretched to take an interest in our particular case. Uh, And there's another twist to it, I I think, we found, and that's because we are active as a community in helping people at that level, then, um, you know, the the powers that be go, well, that person's okay, and they automatically continue to slip further down the priority list. How might we see that change... Or, or to answer the question another way how, how might communities like ours that are involved at that kind of level find themselves supported by the services and agencies locally rather than sometimes find ourselves in a bit of a tussle with them
1: you've raised a whole series of complicated policy areas homelessness if I just deal with that one particular issue to start with is a problem which is sadly getting worse rather than better and for the last 30 years it's been getting better We've got fewer and fewer people who are homeless. And there are specific reasons why homelessness in the last few years has got worse. A lot of it is around to do with um, an increase in migration from Eastern Europe uh, and people being unable to return home if they don't get a job. So there is a specific issue that we have to deal with. Uh, but I think the, the, the broader policy on um, mental health, which you raised, is a really big problem. And it's something we have not done enough on over the last five years. And it's something that I'm conscious is really problematic in Suffolk. We have something close to a crisis at the moment in mental health. And that is right the way from child mental health to geriatric care. And the next five years has got to be about (laughs) resourcing mental health better, getting the management better locally. I think we're kind of getting there with management, but there's a lot more to do. And, Getting some morale back in the workforce who feel really under pressure at the moment. So this is a point of failure, I would say. And it's something that we need to, uh, I need personally to be able to concentrate on over the last five years. And I have to say, if you were to ask the question, what is the one thing you feel that you would have done, should have done more on over the last, last five years, it would be mental health.
0: But you robbed a later question. Sorry. It's a good question, though, isn't it, about, you know, their successes and their failures. And it, it, it's, it's good to hear that you resonate or understand at least um, the reality that we find ourselves um, facing. 500,000 people are ac- accessing food banks. Over this last year, 3,500 food bank parcels have gone out uh, in Ipswich. Might we see that figure increase or decrease in, in the next parliament?
1: I'd hope to see it decrease for the following technical reason, but I will go on to talk about food banks, because they're very interesting. Um, One of the largest reasons people get referred to food banks is because by the time they need to go to claim benefits, they are really up against it. They've maxed out their credit cards. Um, The mortgage may have been missed two or three months in a row, and you've got the building society hammering on the door. And people are going from small part-time job to part-time job, often after they've lost a full-time job and it is just the point of crisis where they feel that their pride no longer gets in the way of going to a food bank and it is a very, very emotional moment. The way that we can help that is to make sure that people can draw down on benefits much quicker Mm -hmm. and without going through the boring details of it, the computer system that runs benefits is basically the same one since the early 1980s. It's broken we're going to get a new one and a new benefit called Universal Credit later this year in Ipswich. It's already been rolled out elsewhere. And it means that if you go to the job centre and you claim benefits, job Seekers Allowance, you will get a payment within the week. And that is the first time that's been possible. People typically now are often waiting six weeks for a payment, which is when you're right up against it, I mean, it's no good. You might as well not give, any, give anything at all. So that would be the, the main way of trying to reduce food bank use. But more broadly, and this is something that you, know, you might want to talk about as a community, uh, food bank use across Europe has been rising. Uh, and in Germany and France, it's gone up even higher than in Britain. And it's the same in Canada and to a lesser extent in the US, where they've always had a lot of food banks. And part of the reason for that is because of a renewed activism by Christian communities. And it's noticeable that Find here and the Trussel Trust elsewhere have a very strong church foundation and that is the case if you look also in Germany and France why food bank use is going up it's difficult to know how to phrase this without it being taken out of context but in many ways it's a reflection of something good that's going on which is a re-engagement of the church, Christian communities in the problems of society and you're doing that here, you're living it in some ways and the relationship to answer the other question that you posed earlier, the relationship you have with state authorities is partly one because they don't quite know yet how to mm-hmm. deal with that. Now, 10 years ago, we've made progress. They would have said, get off our patch. Mm-hmm. That's nothing to do with you. We deal with, we deal with personal breakdown. Uh, it's going to be better if I go here for you. <laughs> Not
0: sure why. If you hold it a bit higher up, because there's an
1: area Sorry. There, if um, I think where we're getting to now is an understanding that other groups are getting involved in social problems, the church being one of them. Mm. and We've now got to work out that relationship so it's fair to you, fair to church communities, but also engages all of your might in helping. Uh, because what we don't want to do is end up in a situation where um, you're put off. Um, because you don't get the requisite support from the state authorities. It's a very difficult balancing act, and it's going to be a problem getting to the right place.
0: So uh, that's a a really, really interesting point you're making, and and, uh, uh, can I drill down just a little bit more on that then? So uh, over this next four or five years, obviously the church in in Ipswich has a strong network of churches, there's a strong, proactive social community involvement arm to the church in in Ipswich. How might we see that recognised, supported in ways that perhaps we haven't experienced I would say absolutely right, 20 years ago, a real problem, a huge journey has taken place. But obviously, you know, if we look into the future, how, how might we see that journey continue?
1: I think there's far more that we can do around tax. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've done, for instance, tax doesn't affect you quite so much, but a tax on VAT on church buildings, recognizing the community value of church buildings. Um, and what we're doing in terms of matching small donations... And also giving gift aid on very small donations. You will have noticed that as well. You can get gift aid on 50p if, you, if 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 it's registered correctly as a donation into a small charity. So making sure that we are releasing every single penny's worth of effort that you're putting in and it making life easier for you. Um, breaking down those barriers between social authorities and the state is an ongoing battle and one that's going to take a generation to change. Uh, but I... I suppose it's, it, it's, it's mostly going to be a kind of a change of mindset. And here you get into kind of choppy ideological waters because some people politically believe that it's wrong for charitable organizations to take a lead role in dealing, in, in helping with social problems. Yeah. Because there is a, you know, at its core a, originally a Marxist uh, determination that charity is in itself a bad thing. I don't believe that I believe the opposite and I think what we've got to do is get to a place where we genuinely value the contribution of church communities without taking advantage of them um, or or whoever else and that will always be a difficulty in a multicultural society where you've got lots of different religions wanting to do the same thing and on the extremes of all religions there are people doing things for reasons which are not entirely helpful Um, so it's going to be a journey.
0: Right, we're, we're, we're jumping around all. If that's okay with you, I'm having fun. I hope you are too. Um, so we're, we're talking about churches, then. In I don't Ipswich. know about you guys, not, but not. Just say, obviously, for the last five years, you've observed church life in Ipswich. What do you see? What do you celebrate? What would you challenge us with?
1: Well, I've observed it grow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've observed a growing confidence. And I think that's very exciting. And I say that as someone who comes from a, uh, a, a strong Christian family background, not one that I've observed entirely all the time in my own life. And I kind of, I've intimated I go, I have gone in and out, but even the points when, um, your own personal faith is tested, I'm very excited and invigorated by seeing the effect that faith has on others. Um, and I, my one thing I would say to you is kind of, keep it up and I will do everything I can to support your endeavours and those of others in trying to have the maximum impact in your community uh, what's the demerit I can't really think of one because actually the churches in Ipswich almost entirely are very generous and they're not exclusive and they're welcoming and I've not had a bad experience with them um, But there will always be a problem when you're pushing against a barrier where there are a lot of people in our town who don't believe in anything and making sure that they don't feel uh, it's your duty to proselytize, but it must be done gently. Um, And this, again, is going to be a difficult journey to tread, especially when we're asking and hoping that churches will do more and more. Um, But this is life's a journey, isn't it?
0: Let's, let's move away from, for, from all of that for a moment. It, it, it's said by numerous people, so I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but uh, to the effect that the maturity of a society is directly related to the way it cares for its most vulnerable. The uh, most vulnerable people statistically are those in the womb in Britain today. Obviously, we hear in the national press and, and perhaps locally too about the abuse of, of the elderly in, in homes and so on, terrible stories. Uh, what might we see uh emerging to protect society from such uh, abuses
1: well i, I um, on the first issue i've voted at every opportunity i have been able to um on a pro life stance uh, i believe that the aim of the next parliament we we're, we're given a free vote on this is to try and bring down uh the as far as possible i mean and is realistic the uh the uh, age at which the length of term at which abortion could be procured to at least the European average, and we are way north of it at the moment. Uh, and you can only do that if you're making sure that we're giving the correct advice and support to, to mothers, um, and that has to be a two-way, a two-way policy issue. At the other end, I think one of the things I'm most proud of as a government is the way that we have pivoted the whole conversation about the NHS and care onto one of quality and safety of care. Now the difference is, is that after this, the scandal of mis- mid-staffs, the immediate response of some in the NHS was to try and cover it up. And say, you know, this is a, if you, if you make a big thing about this, you'll find it difficult to recruit nurses, you'll find it, you'll find that confidence in the NHS goes. And our argument was that actually you do the reverse in the long term, is that confidence in the NHS goes down if you cover things up. And so bringing in rigorous inspections of hospitals like Ofsted gradings, where you get outstanding good, requires improvement or inadequate. Um, CQC inspections, not by bureaucrats with clipboards, but by other doctors and nurses, so that you get proper peer review. And that being continued into the care sector, where we are actually doing proper inspections now, rather than the things which allowed Winterbourne View to take place. I think is a very exciting moment because it's changed the whole relationship between government, the NHS, and the care sector. And We've seen the impact at Ipswich Hospital where they've had to recruit many more nurses. At the start, it's agency nurses, but now they're bringing on their own permanent staff. Because the results of mid-staffs and of changing that relationship is that we are now focusing on care and quality of care more than ever before. And here's the figure you've got to fix in your mind. In British hospitals, there are... Sorry, in English and Welsh hospitals, there are 7,000 unnecessary deaths every year. So that's two or three hundred deaths per hospital every year that could have been avoided. And what we want to do now is to make the NHS the safest care system in the world, and that includes the care element of it. And you only do that by making sure that people, you get to interesting Christian questions, this, are able to admit their errors without being punished. And that is a cultural change which is very difficult, and I'm sure there are people who work in the NHS here. They know it's incredibly difficult to say, I've done something wrong, and then not for that to go as a black mark against your name.
0: So just for clarity, you'd vote against the assisted dying bill?
1: Yes, I would, sorry. Um, in terms of assisted dying, I would. Uh, you know, I have the most heart-rending, lovely people come to me. There's one lady who sticks in my mind all the time when we talk about this who saw both her daughters both her daughters, die of breast cancer. And she has, in a most beautiful and loving way, lobbied me in favour of the assisted dying bill. And you cannot but be uh, not just moved, but impelled to think very deeply about it. But when it comes down to it, on a practical level, I just think you open up many more problems than you try and solve. You do a lot of damage to the hospice movement but also I don't feel I have that right as a legislator to to determine that someone else can take someone else's life.
0: Uh, Short answer to this question about freedom of speech, I'm encouraged to talk about my faith in my job. Um, Lots of people are discouraged to talk about their faith in their jobs. Uh, There is a sense... It, at large that we could move to a secular utopia where faith is marginalised you and I would both agree I think that faith is a, a core identity to a person, whatever that faith might be, what might we see in terms of protecting freedom of speech in that whole area and how might that play out over the next few years?
1: Well I've been an extremely unrebellious member of parliament which I don't know if it pleases people here but I've, um, but I've rebelled on two things, um, And one of them was Section 5 of the Public Order Act. sounds quite dry, but that stops people offending other people in public. And if this was being used by some secularist organizations to stop um, Christian organizations, some of them were, were very marginal ones, but nonetheless part of the Christian family, standing in public spaces holding a Bible and... Uh, talking about their faith sometimes in quite apocalyptic ways um, and it's not how you would choose to do it or anyone else here but it was their faith and uh, we have now got rid of that which is a great thing because it means that people can continue to do something even if it is offensive to some people Mm -hmm. and I think we've turned the tide on that I'm actually I I really think that. you remember Tony Blair was uh, always told Alistair Cameron told him Alistair Cameron Alistair Campbell Freudian slip um, <laughs> Alistair Campbell said to him We don't do God And you always say to interviewers Because it was embarrassing um, The Prime Minister now talks quite regularly About his faith And he talks about the value of faith in society And I don't think people are as awkward About him doing so In the way as they would have been 10, 15 years ago I mean lots of people think That things get worse in life I actually think in, in this regard Things are getting better
0: Right. That's that's really helpful. Uh, Just very quickly about international aid and development. It's enshrined in law about 0.7 of GDP. Uh, It goes into international aid. What might the the role of Christian organisations and charities working around the world be in in making use of that money, in uh, perhaps consultancy in terms of how wisely that money is used? Uh, and uh, and the fact that it's not wasted and so on so what what, what role might Christian charities have, UK Christian charities working abroad have in in helping the way that money is spent?
1: Well I, I worked for a short period in the Department for International Development as the kind of office junior and uh, it's a fascinating area and just to give you a quick answer to the three, the first is that we are deliberately trying to reduce the amount of money that's going to big organisations, be they governmental or big charities, because we know that they are quite wasteful in terms of the money that you give. And the more that we can give to micro-charities and especially when you are we talked about this earlier, where you're effectively leveraging the work that's already being done by communities here in the UK, then we will, we've will. we got specific programmes which are going to grow to a larger po- portion of what is now the £13 billion pounds that we spend on foreign aid. That's the first thing. The second is that we um, are m- being much more transparent about how the money is being spent so that organisations and individuals can check because we do think that armchair auditors are one of the best ways of making sure that things are being spent properly. And I think you'll, you won't see any radical changes in that direction of policy in the next five years, other than extension. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll see more and more money going to more and more small organizations, especially those that have got co-funding from, uh, from UK-based institutions. Be they actually also the mosque down the road, which has got specific charities looking after the deprived of Bangladesh. Absolutely. so it 's it's not just christian it 's faith groups Absolutely. broadly
0: uh, we 've taken a bit longer, uh, and that 's fine because obviously, unlike the others at this particular moment, you have a track record uh, as as an MP here uh, and I just want to zone in for our last few minutes talking about Ipswich. Um, what, what have been the great successes over the last five years here in Ipswich? What, what are those those things you go yes, that was, that was
1: great uh, well, without being too bashful no. <laughs> The, the, the great successes are, I suppose, winning, uh, on a, on a, when you do the pennies and pounds and pennies, it's winning money that in a time of austerity had not been won at a time of boom, and I'm proud of that, getting new schools for Chantry and Holy Wells, um, getting money for heart units at the hospital, you know, all stuff which otherwise you might think might not have come to us because the government was tightening the purse strings. But actually, in the end, although it's exciting winning those things, the thing that I really remember are when you win battles for people against big organisations, um, and one happened very early on where um, a whole load of people who were working for the co-op department store were completely I mean I can't use the proper word here because we're in a holy place um, but it, they were completely done over by um, the organisation that employed them and we managed to get a really good retirement and redundancy package for them which they had been cheated out of and actually when I I saw one of the ladies the other day who came up to me and reminded me of it, and those are the things that really make it worthwhile, because you're using your power and privilege – that was a funny word for power to come out, wasn't it (laughs) – to help people who otherwise wouldn't have it. But one guy sticks in my mind who came with early-onset dementia, and he – was terrified about the fact his phone company was chasing him for money owed by someone else on a previous who had had the line before. It was such a small thing that anyone in this room would have been able to deal with themselves because you would have had the ability to do it. And just fixing that for him changed his entire outlook on his life. And that's a, you know, that's a lovely feeling.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so what might we expect then over the next five years? It's a fantastic place, Ipswich. How's it going to be?
1: Uh, Ipswich is a great, great town. This place could has got the potential to be one of the most exciting, interesting places in Europe. I'm not saying that for effect. We are perfectly positioned between the world's global, uh, global financial centre and the largest concentration of research and development anywhere in the world outside California, which is in Cambridge and Norwich, Martlesham, largest port in the UK, fourth largest in Europe. If we can't get all that to come together for something really special here, we're doing something wrong. And that is the key for the next five years, is to get the infrastructure here, to get the sense of self-belief here, to get the direction going forward, put a bit of rocket fuel in Ipswich, to be blunt, so that this place really, really begins to motor. And what I'd like to be in a position is that in five years' time, if we were to have this conversation again, it wouldn't depend on any one individual to make that happen. The place would be going on its own. London does not succeed because Boris is mayor. Bristol... uh, Should I still say that? I don't know. (laughs) Um, Bristol's got a magnificent mayor at the moment, a guy called George Ferguson, who's an independent. Um, And at some point, quite soon, Bristol will start succeeding, not because George Ferguson is mayor. And I want to be in a position where Ipswich does not depend on any one individual to make it succeed, um, because actually it should be able to be propelled by its own aspirations. Um, Just needs a little bit to get there, and then I think... um, I don't know, I'll go and hassle someone else.
0: <laughs> Just a couple of pointers then on the how. H- how will we achieve that?
1: Okay, so uh, long and short of it, we need much better road connections, we need much better rail connections. All of that adds up to about £1.3 billion worth of investment. It's programmed in, I need to make sure it actually comes. We need to make sure that new houses are built here so that we can cater for families. Um, and those houses need to be served by proper roads. We need to make sure that we're building some new schools and that all the existing schools are good or outstanding by 2020 because in terms of the future, if you don't have decent schools, you might as well forget it. And we need to make sure that the old bits of the hospital are knocked down and rebuilt to make it more efficient. That's the bricks and mortar. But the rest of it actually is about changing the perception of Ipswich within itself, making sure that that in the next few years, we have a sense of this place as a can-do town that is growing and that I think is beginning to happen not least because of the contribution of organisations and churches like your own we will get there
0: great well thank you ever so much can we pray for you uh, at this moment we'd love to do that we're grateful for your public service as we are for so many people that serve us in public life in our town and Lord we're asking today for Ben for every good thing for every rich thing for every honourable thing for every noble endeavour, that you would fan into flame the gift of those things in his service in public life. Pray for him as a husband. Pray for him as a father. And we ask your blessing on them as a family too. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Ben, thank you ever so much indeed.